SegaBits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Hello, play, uh, what is it? Pimp players and pain purveyors. This is your host George, and with me is Barry. That's that's what the Black wow. Barry says. Are you going to keep that level of energy up the whole time? <laughs> I wish. I mean, being a hype man is really, really, really hard. Like, imagine trying to do the voice for like the Black Baron, and he had to be hyped up the whole time, the whole game. Hey, they paid him good money. I hope so. So on this episode, we are talking Platinum Games debut Nintendo Wii. I would say this is the debut game, even if like uh, Infinite Space beats it by a couple like uh, months or whatever. I would say this is the one that is known more for Platinum Games. I mean, nobody talks about Infinite Space, and I'm not saying that Mad World's taking the world by storm as a franchise, but. Yeah, it, 2009's Mad World we're going to be talking about. This episode was actually a Patreon pick. Uh, if you want to uh, keep our show going, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash segabits. We have different tiers. Uh, $20 lets you pick what we talk about. And if you do any, any, like even a dollar, you get to say your memories in the end of the episode. So... Check that out. You want to read Tyler's memories for Mad World since he picked this one? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and if I sound echoey, it's because there's nothing in my room. Um, this will be my last show ever. No, in this room. So, I don't know. Maybe it fits with Mad World. It's like, no, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so this is what Tyler had to say. He said... Well outdone by many Platinum Games' other works, I still hold Mad World close to my heart. It basically signaled the arrival of the studio and served as the perfect example of what it strived for, creative works that few others could ever conceive. While it gained notoriety for being the antithesis of what many perceived as the family-friendly Wii, it deserves more acclaim for its creative approach to combat and superb soundtrack. But most of all, its black-and-white visuals which were complex but still read well on screen. I worked at Toys R Us in the video game department when Mad World launched and stuck the little We Recommend placard on Mad World, even though doing so for mature rated titles was a no-no. A company went, oh, a copy went missing a few weeks in, and I just couldn't let it go. I searched high and low, refusing to accept that someone would dare steal such a gem from under my nose. It was never found, and I resigned from my post in shame. <laughs> I don't know. And that's the story. And that's why Toys R Us went out of business because you can't put true. recommend signs on mature games. That's the sole that's right. reason. And so yeah. every episode we like to start it off usually with our memories, but when you know Tyler is the one that paid for it, so he goes first. But Barry, mm-hmm. uh, looking back at Mad World, which is almost what twelve years old at this point, eleven, I think they just celebrated last year. Uh, what yeah. has your what was your opinion when it came out and you played it and what's your opinion now so, all these years later? Well, I didn't play it on release, but I played it pretty soon after because I remember buying a Wii to play Sonic Colors, and that was late 2010. So this was one of the games I most definitely picked up soon after. Um, 
I was impressed by it. It was different. Um, obviously, as mentioned in uh, in Tyler's memory, it's a very the Wii is a very uh, family friendly console. So it was a real gimmick at the time to get these like gritty adult games. We would see really Sega and Sega only were the ones to do like uh, House of the Dead Overkill, um, Mad World, you know, and, and it was a big deal. Like it would get huge press attention because people are like, oh my God, it's a bloody Wii game with swearing. Um, but beyond that, it was, I, I thought it was a fun game. Um, I, I'll admit I never finished it, <laughs> but I really enjoyed what I did play. And I'm sure we'll get into Max Anarchy, Anarchy Reigns at some point, but um, I kind of have more memories of that, but they're not as happy. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, and also I would say too, Mad World for me really uh, kind of signifies when I was starting to pay attention to like Sega fan sites. Um, mm. You know, pre-Sega bits, I would, I would read various sites, Sega, what was it, Addicts. I think covered this game a lot. Sega. God, I'm trying to think of another one. And I know I'm not. I'm not like talking about nerds because I don't like them. I'm just. I, I have really was, strong uh, memories Neptune. too. That might have been it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, there there was a lot of talk about it, and then when Sega bits kind of started up, this was old news at the time, but I think it was still kind of fresh. So. You know, it, it was it's a special game for me just because that 2009-2010 era was uh, when I got back into following current Sega. Yeah. Um, I covered the game be- while I was writing for a fan site, so this would probably be one of, like, the early games I ever covered, like, from, like, you know, Inception to release, this and, like, I didn't review it, but they sent me, a, they sent me an advanced copy of the game. Uh, because I did a lot of the news articles and stuff. I also did the giveaways for the Sega Nerd site at the time back then. Um, so that meant I would have to give out whatever the giveaway was at the time, which was like uh, these hoodies, which I have one right here that I kept. Oh, nice. Like it has the, the logo in the back, the logo in the front. If nobody's looking at it, it's just the skull with the, what is it, the wrenches? And then it has the logo mm-hmm. on it. Um, so. I was pretty fond of the game going through. Um, I really liked the boss battles and the like, the look, uh, the art style reminded me kind of of old Sega, kind of like something like, even though it's totally different, but Jet Set Radio, where they took the cell shaded, they took a graphic look, and they went all the way in, and they're usually the first ones doing it. Like I, I can't think of that many games that look like Jet Set Radio before Jet Set Radio came out, and then after. Everyone was copying that cell shaded style, you know. Uh, that didn't happen with Mad World. Like people weren't like copying the black and white style, but it was cool to see someone actually do it. Because when I used to read mm-hmm. manga, I was like, I'm surprised there's not a black and white video game, like uh, of a manga game, like just trying to you know put that on screen. So it's really cool that Platinum Games did that, and they actually did mm-hmm. it. It actually looks really good, and you could tell things apart which I thought would have been hard, but we'll get into the, into it when we talk about the graphics. They had a lot of trouble uh, with the lighting and all that, but first, we're going to be talking about early... De- oh, and as my thing changed about it, uh, I still don't like the Wii's motion control, but I think this game uh, 
did a pretty good job considering that like the Wii motion control is not really known to have precise, uh, what is it, uh, controls, I guess. I think it works just fine. They kind of like designed the game around that. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some of the development for Mad World, which uh, was featured as one of the first planning game titles by the studio. As we all know on the show, if you watched our Bayonetta Sega Talk episode, uh, Planum Games was founded by former Clover Studio developers. The game was produced, like most Planum Games titles, by Atasushi Inaba. This guy, like, for what I've read, basically through all this, he just comes in and he's like, ah, I want this to be a modern witch with four guns. And then everyone goes, all right, we'll design that. So it's basically the same thing here. He was like, I'll tell you about the soundtrack, but he's the one that came in and it's like, I want rap. I want hip hop with rock and roll. So, and the game was uh, directed by Shigenori Nishikawa, who was a designer for Resident Evil 4, which the game kind of gives me a little bit of Resident Evil vibes with the way it's tanky, you know, the way he moves around. It's kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Inaba talks about why Mad World was in a black and white violent game. He said, Mad World, it's one of the first titles we released, and that's because obviously it's a Sin City visual design. The team at Clover Studios had just done Okami, which is which of course is a game about peace, tranquility, these very bright colors we're using, and then go to this violent, dark, brutal world. So it's kind of like they wanted to do the opposite of what they did with Okami for the first title. Uh, and they also said, obviously, that Frank Miller's Sin City was a, a, a big influence, which during this time, the uh, Sin City was pretty popular because they just had that Robert Rodriguez movie that came out. Uh, and it was, uh, mm-hmm. it, it kind of, uh, I don't know, did it do well in, in box office? I saw it in theaters. I thought it was pretty good, but. It did well, yeah. But uh, according to the developers, they still say that they they borrowed from both Japanese and Western comics and they created their own unique style, which is true. It's not 100% of a copy of Sin City. Uh, Do you think uh, Planning Games did the right choice at creating a over-the-top violent game for Nintendo's mainstream, family-friendly Wii? Um, I mean, I'd say absolutely because it was a great game to catch the attention of people to get their name out there. Even if this game absolutely failed at selling enough copies, people knew more people knew about platinum games than they did before the game released. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's kind of marketing in and of itself of platinum games. So yeah, I, I mean, I don't know the sales figures for mad world, but I know what mad world is and I know what platinum games is. So, you know, they succeeded there. I definitely think that it made them a, um, what do you say, a stylish, going against the grain uh, developer. Like, um, a lot of developers would kind of win with the flow. Like, even Capcom was releasing, like, kid-friendly titles on the Wii. Uh, I'm trying to think of anybody else. Sega was, like, the only one that was like, well, we'll just make them over-the-top violent. There's an audience for it. And this was part of their whole shtick at the time, right? They had the conduit, and like Mm -hmm. you said... Uh, the House of the Dead. I think it was good for their branding that like they didn't sell out because there is so much selling out during this time for Japanese developers, especially during the mid two thousands. Everyone was trying to like 
if you're on the Wii, you're either a family-friendly uh, game, and if you're on the Nintendo uh, or the Xbox or whatever, you were trying to be like Gore Grim or whatever, like but <laughs> super serious, you know, like oh, like Years of War. This kind of made right. fun of the whole Grim Gore uh, aspect because it was kind of over the top, but. Um, while Mad World is a blood... Oh, wait, I think I, I... Okay, yeah, we're here. While Mad World is a bloody, violent game, the violence depicted in the game is sort of portrayed as a comedic way in the way of, like, Tom and Jerry or Itchy and Scratchy from mm-hmm. The Simpsons with over-the-top kills that sort of softened the whole game up. This was all done on purpose by Planet Games who wanted to aim the game at Western gamers but didn't want the violence to be serious or brutal. They studied mistakes by violent games like Manhunt 2 and tried to avoid that kind of like brutal violence. Uh, did you notice this and did you ever feel like the game was too gory for you, Barry? I never found it too gory for me, but I did notice that, I mean, they were definitely using comedy to lessen the blow of the violence in the game. Um, I've been watching some of those classic like Tom and Jerry and Looney Tunes cartoons recently and they're so violent like people are just like pulling guns on each other and like shooting each other point blank so I mean you add a little blood you turn into Itchy and Scratchy and then Mad World's maybe I I feel like Itchy and Scratchy is more violent than Mad World to be quite honest oh (laughs) for sure and it's crazy because like This game actually had a lot of people upset, which isn't the controversial part of the episode. But, uh, well, right. uh, are you are you on the same spot where I'm at right now in the notes? Mm-hmm. Uh, while mostly people remember Mad World uh, for its gore and graphics and music, but the game did have a story. And would you want to read the story for the audience? It's only a few paragraphs. I'd, I'd love to. So... Three days before the game's event, the fictional Varigan City became a target for the group of terrorists called The Organizers, who severed the the island city's transportation and communication ties with the rest of the world. They released a virus onto its population that would kill them in less than a day. This sounds like Snatcher. (laughs) However, the Organizers informed the populace that any person that killed another would receive the vaccine. Well, now it sounds like 2020 and 2021. Um, The city was quickly transformed into the stage of a recurring game show called Death Watch, with announcers Howard Buckshot Holmes and former Death Watch fighter Creeley. The remaining citizens of Farragut City and new hopeful ones became the show's contestants, hoping to become the top-ranked fighter in the world game and win a large cash prize. Jack Kamen, a man with a chainsaw attached to his prosthetic arm, enters the <laughs> games and manages to gain sponsorship from Agent 13. The game's organizers, led by Noah, know Jack's motive is more than just to win and learn that Jack works with someone on the inside. They come, come to learn that Jack was a former Marine police officer and rogue agent, but now seems intent on a mission. And... We're not giving you guys the ending or spoilers for the game, obviously, so I cut the story short right there. Um, Good. Well, the game is... I think it's a simple premise. It's kind of like an action movie premise, right? The man that's a double agent, and he's like, (laughs) oh, you guys send a legend in there to uh, do this thing, and he has his own mission, so he's like kind of like unstoppable, Jack. Uh, Right. 
and it's not a unique storyline. What's your take on it? Does it did Mad World need to have some sort of like you un- like? I don't think it needed to have a deep storyline like Yakuza. I think the no. the story's just fine where it's at. I think it's very uh, Capcom ish story where it's like Devil May Cry would have a story like this or something like that, or like a Resident Evil story. Um, oh, absolutely. What's your thoughts on the story? I mean, it it's kind of your typical like '80s action movie story. Um, it sounds like straight straight out of like what is it, Running Man? Oh yeah. Um, or I mentioned I mentioned Snatcher, but Snatcher itself is a product of the '80s, which in itself is where all these plots come from. So yeah, it it fits. It fits with that. <laughs> Surprisingly enough, the uh, the game was actually written by Yusumi Matsuno, who is famous uh, for working design uh, for working as a designer and on one of the cult classic Super Nintendo games, Ogre Battle. And uh, mm. producer Inaba Inaba actually discusses the idea of violence in the game and how, in the end, saying the team sort of is commenting on the idea of current violence in video games. Like, I'm not going to spoil the ending because the ending is kind of what kind of ties it all together where let's just say Jack didn't get what he wanted or he doesn't get to uh, have a violent end that he wants. And it's kind of uh, their uh, Platinum Games commentary on current or at the time current video games and violence in video games. So, uh do you remember the grim, dark era of video games during this time with games like Gears of War and all these Japanese developers ch- uh, chasing chasing the trends? And do you oh, think absolutely. that? And do you think that it was like? I think a lot of people look back on it. Some people that grew up with it now kind of look back on it at, with like nostalgia. I've seen people say Lost Planet by Capcom is something they like miss. Even though it wasn't super grim dark, it was definitely uh, influenced by Gears of War and the third-person shooters. Um, I can imagine that, yeah. Yeah, so do you miss the grim dark era or do you like this new era? Like right now, we I think we're seeing like a resurgence where w- these Japanese developers are actually allowed to relaunch something like Virtual Fighter Five. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, no, I... I don't miss the grim dark era that's when i was kind of out of gaming and getting back into it because i feel like we were moving out of it um Mm -hmm. and and now you still see those sorts of games but they're much more rare than the common type of game nowadays if anything it's like everything's loud and colorful and like third person or first person shooters you know like uh and free to play that's the big thing you know (laughs) so it's changed it's changed greatly um, well, uh, I mentioned before that the story about a virus and battling to the death in a game show isn't really unique. The game has been compared to two pieces of media, one that you made a reference to, uh, the 1987 film The Running Man, and the manga mm-hmm. slash anime Dead Man Wonderland. Have you ever seen Dead Man mm-hmm. Wonderland? No. Nah, neither, neither have I, so I have no commentary on that one. Um... We do, we do have, uh, let's talk about the characters in the game, which I think are kind of what sets the game apart. It's funny because I feel like I did the most notes on the, com- uh, on the people that do the commentary. Like, they have the most character in the game because they talk the most. But uh, do. <laughs> the game features 13 unique bosses, 6 sub-bosses, 
but we're, we're going to talk about the main characters in the game only. Um, Jack Kamen, or Kamen, or is that how you say it? A Kamen. mechanic, Kamen. bounty hunter, former Marine, and ex-cop. He uses a chainsaw as his primary weapon. Jack was voiced, is voiced by Steve Blum, who's uh, been on another tons of media in the mid-90s. He's also mm-hmm. the only person to voice Jack. Uh, the obvious influences for Jack is obviously uh, Marv from Sin City, who is also a big, down-on-his-lug, brute-type character. And his chainsaw arm is very similar to Evil Dead Ash, you know? Totally, um, yeah. Even though the internet says that uh, there's a character called Green Spectre in God Hand that it's supposed to be a callback to, it just seems too much like Ash. It was like so iconic when Ash did it that it's like... I refuse to believe that you didn't copy that movie. Um, right. While we don't know Jack's actual age in Mad World, in Anarchy Reigns, it is revealed he is 47 years old. Uh, what are your thoughts on Jack and his inspirations for a character? Uh, did you pick up on like the little things like the ash arm and all that, or were you just playing the game to play? Um, I did pick up on the ash Thing. I mean, even if it was based on the character from God Hand, that in and of itself was probably based on Ash. Uh, yeah. I also picked up on Marv from Sin City, of course. I mean, the movie Sin City came out 2005, I want to say. So, I mean, this was definitely fresh in people's minds. Um, yeah, m- most definitely from those two. And then the Gears of War. Is that what I'm thinking of? Uh was oh, that um, out at this time? Yeah, I think it was out. Let me see when it came out. Uh, but you're talking about Marcus, the lead character, right? Yeah, yeah. When did Gears of War come out? It had to come out. 2006, so yeah, a couple of years before this. Yeah, most definitely Gears of War. I mean, you look at the Gears of War logo and it's just black, white, and red. So. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, it's almost like they're mocking those type of games, but... <laughs> I didn't know where to put this, so I put some of the early concept for Jack, as you can see right here in the gallery that, that uh, I linked on here. The first one we have oh, okay. is like him with a. The first one is like a like his silhouette, but he has like spiky hair and this like really big, huge arm and like leather pants on. Um, and if mm-hmm. you look, it it really looks a lot like Hellboy, who also has the right hand of Doom, which is like one hand super huge. So that first concept art really reminds me of Hellboy. Um, I think a lot of people found that out online too. Um, and then they changed it. And th- there's like another concept art of him on a motorcycle. And then he's holding either a bat or a shotgun or maybe a chainsaw. But he also has the spiky hair here. And it has a different motorcycle design. And then the last one is that. just like... and then the, Yeah, and the last one is him with a bat with a scarred face. They changed all this. And there's like a woman. And it's very Sin City mm-hmm. vibes for the this poster. Um, Absolutely. Personally, I think they kind of nailed it with the goggles and the shorter hair. But what do you think about this version of Jack compared to the other version <laughs> of Jack that we got? Uh, he looks like, like a buffed up Jackie Bryant from Virtua Fighter. <laughs> a yeah, bit. right? Yeah. <laughs> it, and it's it's really weird. I get what they were trying to go for here, but like... I've noticed that there's a lot of canceled characters with spiky hair, like uh, that ju- uh, Judgment. If you look up his canceled character design, he also had that spiky hair like this. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. Japanese developers are all like, "We're gonna draw him like a Super Saiyan." 
And then, oh, okay, we'll tame him down after a while, but, uh, right. yeah. Uh, so the next character we're talking about here is Amala, a dark-skinned woman with spiky black hair, earrings, and a white open-collar shirt. She's best described as patient, reasonable, and a professional, and is one of the most normal characters in the world of Mad World. She's part of Jack's support team as she acts as a spy and hacker and communicates th uh, through you with a, in the headset. Uh, she also returns in Anarchy Reigns. Then we have Agent 13 uh, is part of Jack's support team, and he's also the guy that sponsors him. He gives you tips and hints. And is also in charge of the tutorial. Agent uh, 13 is an older gentleman with slick back hair that's gray with a wide nose and full lips. Always wears his sunglasses and his shirt, and his shirt has a lotus design. Fans have noted that, that Agent 13 kind of looks like Marlon Brando uh, portrayal of Vito in The Godfather. I guess I could see it a little bit. And you bit. know what else? 13 reminds me of that Ubisoft game um 13 which also had a very i mean it was in color but when you look at like our it, it looks like yeah it looks like mad world in color basically <laughs> they were trying yeah. to capture a comic book look too yeah yeah for sure i definitely thought of that too the 13 uh leo or leonardo fordmont is a doctor and not combatant that gets caught up in death watch he uh, first met him in Asian Town after being terrorized by villains, and then you obviously come out and kill everyone. Uh, there's actually more to this guy's story in the game, but that would be spoiling the story. But let's just say he's a doctor. There's a vi uh, there's a virus. Come on, guys, put put two and two together. I mean, uh, <laughs> then we got Noah, the CEO of Death Watch and primary villain of the game. He is an older man with black slicked hair and prominent cheekbones with sinister eyes. Noah is obviously immoral and greedy. Uh, they talk about he's the one that commercialized Death Watch and made it what it is today it's because he, basically he wants money, blah, blah, blah. There's more to the story than that. The next is the announcers. First is Chris Creeley, like you, t you, you talked about before. He is one of the two commentators mm -hmm. of Death Watch. He was a former contestant and even a champion at one point. Chris has little regard for human life and enjoys the gruesome kills you perform in the game and often looks back fondly when he used to compete in Death Watch. Even though he's, he looks back fondly, he says he'll never want to return again. Chris also doesn't like people that know more about him and talks down to Howard, the other announcer, because he uses educated words. He calls intellectuals <laughs> pussies. Kreese has is also not very great with math and admit, and admits he is illiterate. He is also an alcoholic, a drug abuser, and has admitted to enjoying unprotected sex with call girls. Kreese is voiced by John DiMaggio, who is also a bender oh, from DiMaggio, Futurama. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. and he also did Jack the Dog from Adventure Time, which is kind of weird because he plays like uh, the most offensive roles, and he's uh, Jake the Dog from Adventure Time. I know. And uh, he also played the lead role of Marcus in Gears of War. There you go. Um, hmm. Then we have Howard Buckshot Holmes, the other commentator. And it's funny because we have more about these guys than we have any characterization in the whole game for anybody. He's uh, along with Chris Creasley. He is uh, 
while Chris is like a dumb psychopath, he, uh, Howard is the complete opposite in a way. He, when he was in school, he was bullied and was consider, considered generally weak. He later got married and his wife used to cheat on him. And he said multiple partners and she wasn't even hiding it from him. Howard would also beat her and abuse her. So not a good guy either. After eight years of the mess, they filed for a divorce, which resulted in Howard going broke. Howard has at least one kids and brags about dodging child support payments. Howard is also an alcoholic and likes to drink martinis and scotch. While, uh, Chris, is, while Chris is the dumb one, Howard is the educated guy, often using uh, poems and haikus in his commentary. This means Chris and Howard don't really like each other. Howard is also a pervert and, according to the game, a pansexual. Howard is voiced mm. by Greg Prop Proops, who is, mm -hmm. uh, who is popular from the U.S. version of Whose Line Is It Anyway? And also played the title character in Bob the Builder, another kid's TV show. He was also the um, English-speaking two-headed announcer for the pod race in oh, Star really? Wars. And nice. I think he returned for Star Wars Racer. So if you want to play another video game with his his voice uh, commentating, you can check out Star Wars Racer. Yeah, <laughs> and he's on Cameo. And I was I was this close Is to he? spending forty bucks. Yeah, I was this close to spending forty bucks, but I was like, eh, it might be a disappointment. Oh, hey, Barry and George. Uh, so you know, you you're a fan then of this guy, the 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 voice actor. I mean, if you're going to spend forty I mean, bucks for. I didn't spend 40. I said oh, I was yeah. going to, but I didn't. Okay. But even if you're considering it, I'm saying, like, you must be a, some sort of fan, right? I mean, did you watch well, uh, Moonlight Isn't it Anyway? I did, actually. I watched it a lot. Um, he was good on the show. Uh, I think he's pretty foul-mouthed, though. Like, I've listened to interviews with him, and he's, like, super L.A., just dropping the F-bomb constantly. You know, he's like, oh, yeah, man, it's fucking awesome, you know? You know? I think like he was Californian. Perfect. Yeah, I think he's perfect for the role of the commentator on here because they were supposed to be degenerates, basically. Like, they're supposed to be flipping what announcers really are, you know, wholesome people, and be like, "Well, right. we just got the worst of the worst for ours." But uh, talking about the worst of the worst, the Black Baron. Time to talk uh -huh. about the Black Baron. This is, might be the most controversial part of the episode, but. While in Mad World, he serves as the face of the bloodbath challenges, as well as the master of ceremonies, he is actually ranked number one and is the current Death Watch champion. He is a celebrity in the world of Mad World and usually explains the rules to the audience and players. He is also the, mm. uh, the voice of news regarding the game. The best way to describe Black Baron is a stereotypical pimp. He wears loud clothing with leopard patterns, fedora, white gloves, and a ring resembling a king's crown on each middle finger. You know, for the for the people. Uh, and of course, he has a walking cane. You can hear him, and also uh, he talks energetically uh, and uh, uses catchphrases such as "pimp players" and "paint pervaders." Like I said, and uh, <laughs> he is also seen with I don't even know Mathilda who he calls baby and mama uh and they're always together and she's always abusing him by the way some sort of like dominatrix uh relationship uh, mm -hmm. uh 
like in in the thing when they show you the bloodbath challenges, she'll like murder him, and then he'll just come back in the next scene, making it seem like this whole thing is fake, uh, hmm. which is pretty interesting and a theory. That is just like, you know, how we talked about how, uh, I think it was Quackshot in another show where when you end the game, it looks like it's kind of like a uh, set and it was all a movie. People have that same uh, theory for Mad World that it's just all fake, like a video game. Just exactly like... Oh, Altered like Beast. Ones. Altered there Beast was a movie. There you go. Like Altered Beast. That's what people think it is. But yeah. Um, talking about fake. So... Uh, <clears throat> I'm surprised this didn't cost an hour, but in the game, uh, the commentary people in the game say that uh, Black Baron actually isn't a black person, that he's actually wearing blackface. And I don't know if this is, uh, like, actually true or... I mean, you got to understand, the announcers we're listening to are alcoholics and, like, degenerates and uh, kind of offensive so i don't know if it's an offensive joke or if it's an actual person in blackface and right. i think and then the uh, people on the internet also brought up that his jewelry which has bb on it which stands for black baron looks too much like uh 88 which means hell hitler and he also has two s's as lining bolts on his hair and people say that it kind of looks like the ss bolts and like they're tying this all together and saying on the Wikipedia is that it, it has racist uh, terminology. I, I think maybe the blackface commentary was a little bit much. I think people are looking way too much into the BB jewelry. I very much yeah. doubt Planet Games designed it to say Hell Hitler. Um, no. That's my opinion on that. You guys could look it up yourselves. Um, personally, I think it just means Black Baron like it's supposed to be. Yeah. But uh, do you think, are you surprised that nobody talked about the blackface issue? Or is that just you think back in the day it wasn't something we talked about much or like? I think he's black in the game and it was just a case of the voice actors riffing. And they're like, well, if this game's supposed to be like M-rated, super, you know, like degenerate, we're going to make jokes that are probably not going to make the cut. And they did make yeah. the cut, you know, um, because the character itself, when you look at him, it doesn't look like it's guy in blackface. Um, it also, it's a game that's in black and white. So when you look at Mad World versus Max Anarchy, he does not have like super pink or white lips, you know, it's just a stylistic thing. I mean, even when you look at Mad World stuff of Jack, Jack looks black. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, there's just so many shadows in the game. It's just it's it's hard to look at it, and for me, I and, think, and go there. I I think yeah. I'm not. I, I don't know. I'm not. A, I mean, even if they made a joke about that, I don't know if I, I don't know if it's offensive or not. I'm not like, bro, I'm not obviously African American. So to me, it would be like I I don't know if I would be offended. Like, am I was I offended when Mario had a Mexican hat? on in no that didn't bother me um but mm -hmm. saying something about blackface i don't know it depends on um people you know if they're offended they're offended right. to me it, i think it was just a bad joke <laughs> that like people <laughs> thought way too much into then they started seeing the bb and all that and then they started like i i don't think about the whole nazi nazism thing no but the blackface thing i guess i can see people being offended about that but i think he's not i think he's black <laughs> Um, right. so let's talk about some of the gameplay. 
Uh, Mad World is considered a linear game that allows the user to revisit past stages to earn more points, something that is required to move on to boss battles. Since the game takes place in Jefferson Island, there is different parts that you can explore and challenges to complete. For everything you do, you get points. The more, the, uh, the more unusual and creative methods of defeating opponents gains you more points. The game uh, also has a few motorcycle-based uh, stages. Sort of how Bayonetta try to break up the action, you know? Uh, one mm -hmm. of the big parts of the game is the blood bath challenges which are kind of basically mini games and it really felt and it really felt like the developers were kind of mocking <laughs> mario party with these like hey in this world this is the mario party uh kind of mini games right. you have so let's talk about some, I, I listed them all here i think my biggest pet peeve is they didn't have more of them i actually really enjoyed the mini games i thought they did a cool job with them so we got mm -hmm. the Turbinator. You toss enemies, enemies into a jet engine. Uh, Rocket Reamer. Throw enemies onto a track and have a train run them over. Death <laughs> Press. You toss enemies into a pit where a spike press uh, crushes them after every few seconds. Man Darts. I think these are the most popular ones. But you hit enemies with a baseball bat and send them flying to, into a dartboard. Money Shot. Shove, uh, shove bottles of Perkin Pop, which is a soda in the game, into your enemies and launch them on sexy targets. Hanabi, shove enemies into barrels and turn them into fireworks. Man Golf, use a gold club and whack enemies in the head, sending them flying through rings. And then we have like uh, Death Press 2, which is you toss enemies, but this time into a giant hand that crushes them instead of a press. Uh, road Rampage, you run enemies over with the motorcycle. And then we have like the Money Shot 2 and the Dark Man Darts 2. It's just different enemies in a different location in the background. So, all that is cool. But, uh, <laughs> what do you, oh, while Mad World is considered a single player game, Bloodbath Challenges can be played with a second player, where the second player c controls a character called Kojak, an in game boss. And is the 11th ranked Death Watch member. Did uh, you play a lot of the Bloodbath challenges? And what is your? did you know that this game had multiplayer? Because I don't think a lot of people know that. No, I did not know that. And I did play a fair bit of them. It's probably the most memorable thing from the game. And I think the tur Turbinator is the one I remember the most. Tossing Ooh. them into the jet engine. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember the... I was gonna say it, it. The one I remember is obviously the man darts because it was all over the. Uh, what is it? The when they were promoting the game, they kept on showing it off all the time. So, I definitely remember that. But yeah, I, I thought that they should have expanded. It could have just been a mini game collection with some uh, weird like. This game reminded me a lot of the club. Do you remember Sega making that game? Yeah. Where you have to go around in laps and, and score points, kind of, but it was more like a racing game. So, so it kind of reminded me of that with mini games mixed in, which was a lot cooler, but yeah. Let's talk about the graphics, which is, I think, the most interesting thing about the game, and I think everyone will agree with me when that play the game. Because uh, the, the game is obviously black and white and uses 
few colors to make the game pop. Looking online, the game was developed using Soft Image, a Autodesk application. They uh, Planning Games built a custom built engine uh, on top of it, uh, so they could basically use this art style and overcome the Wii's memory limitations. At, uh, mm-hmm. As you know. We don't make games here, so uh, I'm not really sure sometimes what I'm talking about when I'm talking about specifics on how they make games, but this game actually has a lot of talk uh, on how they achieved a lot of the looks. So one of the things Planning Games talked about is when they made the models with complex lighting, they used this thing called normal maps, which is uh, uh, basically a way so you could have like few polygon characters but like make them look like there's light on them and have shadows on them so they draw Mm. on the normal maps and it gives it that like the light it gives it that weird comic look um Mm. so they they got away with adding more detail that with less polygon with less polygons uh this basically made them uh save memory on the wii well, the game has a comic book style look, they actually tried to toy around with having reflections in the game, which was obviously dropped because they said it looked too weird, which I would have told you right away, like, reflections do not look good in a comic book game like this. Uh, mm-hmm. Explosions, though, do use particle effects. As you could probably guess, it, uh, it Planum Games, has to work with, uh, a lot with lighting and the design to make the main character pop and not just blend into the background to look like minor thugs, which is something they worked on a lot. Do you think Platinum Games did a good job with making the game pop? Because, like, as a designer, you know, like, when you use the same color over and over again or two colors or, you know, it's basically three colors, really, right? Black, white, and right. uh, red. Uh, right. Sometimes it's yellow for the lettering and all that stuff, but, like... You, you understand that it, it's hard, right, to make it pop, especially in a 3D game like this. Do you think they did a good job, you know, doing that? I think they did. I think actually it was smart of them to put a big logo on his back because you're looking at his back most of the time. So you can you can see where Jack is, even though you know he's in the center of the screen. You know, like he's he's very easy to identify just because of that. He's also largely black from the back, but then the backgrounds are mostly white. So I think that's a good way of making him pop too. But yeah, that big skull logo, you're looking at it most of the time actually. So it was, I think it largely works. Yeah. Sometimes it does look like a mess of just like black and white shapes though. I mean, the game is not perfect visually. No, but no. For the most part, I think it worked. I agree. I, I do agree with it. when it gets complex. It really you could really tell the limitations of the game sometimes. But I th- I thought they did a pretty good. Like when I first heard this game like announced, I was like, oh no, Sega's gonna get like a low score because it's gonna be one of those games where everyone's like, it looks the same, uh, everything was samey. You know, like I don't know. I think color adds a lot to it when you look at games like Sonic the Hedgehog. You know, like casino zone and like green hill zone if it was all black and white it'd be a little like it it would have the same effect but they they did it i don't know Mm -hmm. how they did it but they did it a lot of hard work um since the game revolves around violence and dismemberment the team had to make the models as destructible as possible and had tons of different versions of the characters uh missing different limbs and other bodily harm they put these models with a 2000 frame animations that were actually motion captured and then blended together. 
the team would even go in and uniquely model blood spurts. So it, it, it was like they basically looked at how blood would splatter on the wall and stuff, and then they added their own engine so the blood splatter would be more like real time, like the trajectory. You know, when you watch Dexter and he's like, oh, if. It felt this way and all this stuff. They literally did collision <laughs> detection for the blood in this game. I, I, th- that's how much they cared about the blood. Um, so I was going to ask you, did you notice the little details on the blood splatter that they were unique and they actually traveled the way they're supposed to uh, in this uh, game? Or No. I didn't either. <laughs> but I guess I that's good either. because it just looked natural. I didn't think about it. It's kind of like um, when they do like 3D characters and or you know like cgi characters and you don't notice their cgi that's a good yeah. thing you know because 100%. they they do all these little they, they do all these little things to make it appear realistic so in this case if it was the same shape every time for the blood i'd be like oh it's that's lazy but yeah i'm impressed that's pretty cool i did not know yeah that. i didn't know that either when i i mean when i play the game i mean i just played it and enjoyed the game so when I uh, when I actually looked at that, I was like, oh my god! And I looked at gameplay footage, and now I'm like staring at the blood and stuff. I'm like, yep, it does splatter in a very unique way every time you kill someone. So, very good job from uh, Sega on that one. Um, let me uh, let's talk about the soundtrack. Which last time we talked about the soundtrack, we talked about the Bayonetta soundtrack from Planning Games, and we talked. So you could watch that episode on Sega Talk number 62. We said that the Bayonetta soundtrack is super unique. And I think Mad World's even more unique. Uh, especially if, when it comes to Japanese developers. The soundtrack was composed by in, in-house composer Nayato uh, Tan- Tanaka. Which you can see a picture of him if you're watching the video version of him. But... He definitely doesn't look like someone that would be making the hip-hop soundtrack. He's an older Japanese fellow. Uh, but he actually used uh, four other local artists to achieve this rock, this rock and hip-hop feel for the album that he wanted. Uh, according to uh, Tanaka, he was inspired by Linkin Park and Jay-Z's album, Collision Course. You ever hear that album, Barry? I I have not, unfortunately. Okay, neither, <laughs> neither have I. I'm not I'm not a huge East Coast rap fan, and I'm not really that much of a Jay's uh, Lincoln Park fan. I'm sure some of the listeners here might really like uh, Lincoln Park, um, but I do like the soundtrack for this. I think they captured a unique feel uh, that I don't think it really sounds like Lincoln Park. So, but they did do a good rock and roll slash. New York style mashup like they were trying to. So uh, mm-hmm. the way the music was created was that Tanaka would would create the backtrack using uh, Cube Cubas SX and Acid, which are these two programs to make rap beats, I guess. Then they would he would send these along with the general theme of the stage to the artist, so they can do the lyrics and vocal performances. While Planning Games USA would give them feedback to nail the Western style down, in the end they recorded recorded over fifty minutes. Uh, so, what are your thoughts on how the soundtrack came out, and are you surprised it was mostly made in Japan, at least the backtracks, like the beats? I mean, I, I'm not too surprised, but uh, 
I, I thought the soundtrack was good. I thought it was a little repetitive, though. Like, the lyrics are definitely catchy, but then it just kind of loops, and you hear it again and again and again. Um, I think it would be kind of cool if maybe when the songs kicked off, you got some lyrics, and then it went into an orchestral-only version for the rest of the stage. Um, I'm kind of reminded of, like, Jet Set Radio, where you're like, oh, this is a cool song, and then you're like... Oh, yeah, it is like, again, you know? yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, I was going to tell you when the the lyrics were repeating themselves, it reminded me a lot of like Jetsu Radio. I think that's what happens when you have vocals on a song on a game that mm-hmm. is going to be longer. It's like uh, also Persona Five has that where you're like playing the game and it's like it's like oh my god, I heard this right. track like a gazillion times with those vocals, but I mean. Yeah, but then you also happens. get issues where it's like a lot of times with Sonic games they'll make like a ten minute track or a five minute track, but it's a three minute boss. So oh. when you buy the soundtrack, you're like, oh, there's more to this. I think a, a popular one is, I want to say like Sonic Generations 3DS had the Big Arms boss mm. from uh, the 2D one. You know, like they they brought in the 3D. And it's an awesome song, but it's only like a minute-long boss, but it's like a five-minute track. Um, same goes with some of like the shadow bosses, I think, in Sonic Adventure 2, where you just you can beat them so quickly, but if you listen to the soundtrack, you're like, man, I wish I wish the boss was longer so I could get these epic moments. You know, it's a it's a tr- difficult, I think, uh, a different difficult tightrope to walk as a music designer. You know. Definitely did. Um, I agree with you on the repeating. I thought it was really unique, though, because, like, I can't think of any other game, even Western, that, like, use hip-hop music this way, like, for a linear game like this. Like, I want to say maybe, like, obviously, uh, Grand, Grand Theft Auto, but, like, Grand Theft Auto just used licensed music. They didn't, like, go in-house and create beats and then hire, hire local New York artists to come in and rap over them. So, in my right. opinion, that's actually really unique, and uh, I thought that I think that's why a lot of people were hyped about the soundtrack for this game because it was such like Bayonetta's even more. I mean, they're both unique. It's like the lovey dovey stuff going, and this one has the hip hop stuff. So it's interesting. But uh, let's talk about the artists that uh, Platinum Games teamed up with. If you're watching it on video, you can see the pictures of the people on here. Um, I, so according to my information, most of the writing was done by Ox, who has the most featured rapping on the soundtrack. Doja, Roz, Ray, Roz, Roze, I don't know how you say that. Sig YG and Bandy Legs, which is a female. These are the four people that wrote most of the lyrics according to the Wikipedia article. But the soundtrack also featured Soul Purpose, which is a duo group of rappers. Optimus and Wordsmith. It seems that the artists didn't shoot out uh, after this release, you know, in the mainstream. Um, I was looking through their like discography, and they're mostly featured on other stuff. It feels like they work with other artists and do some maybe like some backing tracks, and that's kind of how their career is. Ox on the Ox is the only one that has these like really funny front covers. Like on his albums, they're all like really like comedic. It's like executive executive like he has this one called like i forgot what it's called it was like executive something it was like it's like uh man i have to look for it but uh it, it's it's really funny he's like standing in his living room and stuff 
trying to look all executive, but it's more coming off as comedy. It seems like Mm -hmm. he he understands. And there was also one of these rappers did a uh, compilation. And on the compilation of the album is the Shinobi Master System cover. They just like literally, they took the artwork and they just put like Assassins whatever was the album's name on top. I was like, man, that's the laziest thing I've ever seen, but all right. Um, so let's talk about, let's listen to, I'm going to put, play a couple of minutes and a couple seconds of some of these tracks to kind of show you each of these, not every single rapper that was featured on here, but like how different it sounds. The first one we're going to look for at is YG, uh, Sig YG's, uh, looking pimping, which is my favorite track in the game. And according to some of the developers, it's their favorite track in the game too. I'll just play it in the middle of nowhere. So this is the the villains theme in the end, which is Black Baron's second theme in the game. He has two themes in this game because he's such a unique character. So that's when you fight him in the end, you get to hear this. So there's that one, and then there's Ox doing um, Crimson Rain. So, and I'm kind of going fast because uh, I'm I'm just scared that we're going to get like copyright claim for this music. I don't know why. Anything with vocals, I'm like, oh, I start pumping my chest and stuff, you know. Dojo Raz is crazy track. I'll... In the middle. As you can tell, uh, Planum Games kind of had them talk about death or getting killed or almost dying or uh, being a pimp and taking getting money. Uh, and owning the city apparently was a lot of the lyrics around uh, the this soundtrack. Uh, do you think that it worked having a variety of vocalists in the soundtrack long term, or do you think that they could have just done it with a few? Because they have like no, I, one, I, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, maybe. Right. No, I, I think having different ones works a lot better because I'm kind of reminded of Knuckles stages in Sonic Adventure Two, where it's Oof. like. The well, and not to like slam them at all, but like the the voice in the songs is supposed to be Knuckles' like thoughts. It's like singing about what Knuckles is thinking, and so if you were to just do the same singers for the entire game, it's almost like is this Jack's like inner monologue? You know what I mean? But when you change it up, you're like, well, obviously it's just a bunch of different music. There's no no, no depth to it, which is a good thing, I think. Um, also, it mixes things up, because if you can imagine how repetitive the lyrics are, imagine having the same person Guy. on every single track. Yeah. Ugh. Nah. I, I thought it would have been sick if like they did one track where they all had a, uh, a verse or something, because like, the thing I noticed is that they were all separated. Like, 
Oz did this one, uh, Wordsmith did one, Bendy Legs did one, and it wasn't like they ever had one song where like Oxen, like uh, Sig YG came on a track and they both did one, you know what I mean? They could have done that. Maybe the sequel could have done that, but yeah. I mean, I guess we did get a sequel, but it's not what we thought, right? Let's talk about the game's promotion, which interestingly enough, there's actually a lot to talk about in the promotion for this game, which is kind of unique, especially during this time when Sega didn't really do ads that much. Uh, Sega America still wasn't great at marketing, but Sega Europe, on the other hand, would go out all out at during this time with real life stunts, which were kind of popular during this era. The idea is you do something to upset people or cause a discussion. Sega Europe decided to dump stylized white severed hands or arms all over London to promote the release of Mad World. As you, if you're watching it on video, you can see it here. Uh, a, a dramatic shot. <laughs> you can tell this is a marketing shot too. Uh, so they dumped all the... And basically, uh, it, it wasn't the first time someone did this. Uh, Capcom did this prior to this for uh, to promote Resident Evil. So... Sega kind of knew it worked, so they went and copied and did it for Mad World. Of course, the largest British tabloid newspaper, The Sun, had to pick up the story and get offended over Sega's stunt. The controversy in the UK continued with John Bayer at the time, director of Media Watch UK, saying he wished that the game would be pulled from being sold, saying, we need to ensure that modern and civil uh, civilized Values take priority rather than killing and maiming people. Not surprised, fans told them to fuck off and calling them cowards and narrow-minded bigots. The violence continued so much that a Nintendo representative had to basically come out and say that the Wii is for everyone and that includes adults, stating that the rating board will classify and the, uh, will, will give it a rating and basically if you don't like it, don't play it approach. Uh, I think the best quote out of all this came out from uh, from Eurogamer stating, It's difficult to understand why there's so much controversy surrounding Mad World when the violin is so very Tom and Jerry. It's really hard to be offended because it's just so ridiculous. Uh, are you surprised that Mad World caused such an uproar, especially considering it was like 15 years after Mortal Kombat came out and we were kind of like, over the idea of violence? Yeah, I mean, definitely when you bring up Mortal Kombat, I see the clips for the brand new Mortal Kombat stuff, and it's just downright insane. Like, yeah, I'm not believe. offended, but I'm I'm not offended, but I'm looking at it, and I'm like, really? You're doing, okay. I mean, I'm just, you know, I, I, I enjoy Mortal Kombat, but it's gotten so old to me. <laughs> like, the, the violence is just so stale now. It's so expected. Um, oh, for sure. I guess I've become yeah. I guess I've become numb to it. It's also funny that Nintendo is backing up Mad World when their uh, president was during the '90s saying like, "You will never see Night Trap on a Nintendo console." <laughs> like how? And how here much, they are. You know, right? I, right, and here they are. I mean, Night Trap's on Switch now, but even then, in 2009, they were defending something like Mad World, and I'm sure they defended like House of the Dead Overkill too. But that was such. A big thing at the time is people were like, oh, the Wii's for families, which I think made people think the Wii should never have a, a, like violent games on it, which is just nonsense. So, like, you know, it, it's stupid. 
100%. Like, the dumbest controversy. And I feel like all these people played into Sega's arm. Like, they, they had people talking about it. And that's what they wanted. They wanted right. people to be offended. They did the whole severed arm thing on purpose, knowing that people would look at it and go, Oh, no, violence. Get away from that game. They try to do that bad boy image again of Sega from the early, mid-90s. And they try to replicate it on the Wii because they saw that it was another friend, you know, family-friendly console. And I think it, it worked in that sense that they got the attention they wanted. So kudos right. to Sega Europe's uh, marketing team. But let's look at a few print ads. Uh, I actually do not recall seeing any advertisement for Mad World. Even during this time, I would still read magazines like a nerd. Mm-hmm. But uh, here's one where it says... Uh, the first ad is Jack looking mean, covered in blood, with the big letter, big letter saying, lose 20 pounds in five seconds, ask me how. Kind of mocking the We Fit craze at the time, you know, like those ad, uh, losing weights ads. So mm-hmm. there's that ad, and then there was the second ad of Jack doing this like really complex wrestling move where he's snapping a guy's neck, but on his shoulder, <laughs> and he's mm-hmm. like upside down, I don't even know. If you're watching it in audio, I can't even explain what this move is. But it says, <laughs> back pain, question mark, snap out of it. Uh, and then it's just basically an ad for Mad World. Stylized ads, but uh, do you think they're effective in, like, if you saw this, would you want to know more about the game? Or, like, there's no screenshots or anything. Yeah, I, I think the one thing it's lacking is just, like, the two or three tiny screenshots across the bottom. I'm kind of surprised they don't have it. But... I think the art style and the, the kind of quirky jokes work really well. Also, that blue Sega logo just pops on that red and black. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think at the time, people knew kind of what to expect from Sega. They did not know what to expect from Platinum Games. And to be quite honest, Platinum's logo kind of gets lost in there. Like, it almost looks oh, yeah. like a part of Jack's clothing when you look at that uh, five seconds one. So. I think at the time people were really looking at these as Sega games and not Platinum Games titles as they would now. Um, so I, I think they're effective. I think they work. Um, I, w- I kind of like them as posters. That would have been cool if they did like prints or something. Um, but all in all, yeah, I like it. I like it. I was going to say, um, you know what? Now that you bring up talking about Platinum Games, I hate the name Platinum Games, just because when you're writing about them as a game company, you're like, Platinum Games game came out. <laughs> it's like, come on, dude. Like, you couldn't call your your group something else, like, like anything Platinum at Studio. this point. Yeah, yeah, Platinum Studio would have been better, but Platinum Games, I hated. Also, the logo, <laughs> definitely, like, being white like that is just too plain. And it, like you said, it doesn't pop like a blue and like the Sega Blue. So, I don't right. know. I still think they need a redesign on their logo, but they seem to be enjoying it the way it is. But right. it is Platinum, so, I mean, what are you going to do? You can't make it blue and call yourself Platinum Games, you know? So um, Right. The next ad is a British ad, and I couldn't find a scan of this. I could only find a scan on one of those websites that sell advert ads as, uh, you know what I'm talking about? They're, they're trying to sell these yeah. old ads, right? So yeah. this one it says he's cutting the rule book in half, and it's by Bob Baldiner, I think. Uh, okay. And that's supposed to be a it's supposed to be a fictional host that Sega made to promote Mad World TV, which at the time in Europe was two hosts 
trying to replicate the dynamic of the in-game host, but this time it was like the total opposite. They were like super cheesy NBC style hosts talking about what Mad World's about. Uh, Sega mm-hmm. would so basically the ads telling you to go to the website and watch their videos, but I can't find any of their videos online. Like the site was taken down, and so all these videos of them talking aren't around anymore. And it was part of their advertisement campaign. So maybe I could maybe somebody has them backed up somewhere, but uh, it was basically what is Mad World is one of the screenshots you're seeing here, and they would just talk about the game and all that kind of stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, during this period of time, video game advertisement was different. Like, we were moving mm-hmm. away from ads. We were moving away from TV commercials because people were spending more time on YouTube and all that. So Sega tried to do a more online-centric marketing campaign, especially with these videos. Uh, what do you think about this era of advertisement? Like, I don't think Sega even does videos like, what is Yakuza? And then they, like, tell you what it is with two yeah. hosts. I mean, you know, all in all, I, I think uh, Sega really went all out for this game, like the severed arms, the uh, the print ads. I think it was a misstep, though, to have these like NBC style announcers when the game itself has two announcers. It gets kind of confusing because mm-hmm. you think, are these the announcers in the game? And then when you play the game, they're completely different guys. I think it would have been cool to hire the two voice actors from the game, put them up in makeup and film it in black and white with them commentating. And I think if they did it in today's day and age, they would do like a Twitch video or a YouTube live where it would be the two of them like riffing live over gameplay. And Mm -hmm. I think that would have been really cool. Like it's like we're going live with the debut of Mad World gameplay, join the in-game announcers live. And of course, John DiMaggio alone. And even like, you know, like... Featuring uh, Greg Proops from Whose Line Is Anyway and John DiMaggio from Futurama. And people would be like, oh, awesome. I want to see these guys riffing over this uh, stuff. You know, this should be fun. And it's just like they're swearing and like laughing. Like that would be fun. This one, though, with like the two guys looks stupid. But I do want to see these videos. They look, though, like Fiverr. Remember the guy on Fiverr who's like, I will dress up in a suit? And read your yeah. script. That's what that guy on the looks left like, looks like. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say right now, it looks like it. Maybe that's where Sega got them. They're like, they went on Fiverr. They're like, all right, we got our guy. Whew. It's going right. to cost us $25 to make five videos. Um, right. But yeah, I agree with you 100%. It was a missed opportunity not having the original voice actors, the degenerates that played it, that played the characters and those kind of characters. And I agree this is like in today's marketing it would be a live stream, definitely a live stream, or at least a mock, a mockumentary version of a live stream where like somebody is playing right. it, but like they, they do the jokes and they rehearse them, and then they have like specific, but they make it look like it's a live broadcast. I could see something Absolutely. like that too. Um, I think Sega Sonic did Sonic Team or the people that do the Sonic. Twitter account did a really mm-hmm. good job when they got the voice actors to do responses to people and in, in, in character. That would mm-hmm. have been another thing that would have been awesome for this game at the time. But like I said, this is a totally different gaming era than it was back then. But that would have worked way better today than it did back then. As you can tell, it's very early on uh, marketing like this. So it's very interesting to see. 
while Sega really did try to push the idea of mature games on the Wii so far uh, by creating, you know, the House of the Dead Overkill, the Conduit, Mad World, and a few other titles, sales ended up being okay. I think Sega came out actually and said they were disappointing. Uh, the MPD for Mad World sold, said they sold 66,000 units in North America the first month. And in Japan, mm. it only did 3,000 the first week. While Sega wow. would go on to say they sold more games while they were being discounted, they would uh, later go on and cancel any future mature-rated game on the Wii. So that, that sucked. Um, in Planum Games fashion, a few days after Sega made the announcement of abandoning mature games on Wii, the team came out saying they wanted to make a sequel for the game, which in the end ended up being Anarchy Reigns for the PS3 and the 360, a 3D fighting mm-hmm. game. And uh, do you consider Anarchy Reign an actual successor to this game, considering that it's totally different? I know they have the characters in it, but that feels like that's it. I would say Anarchy Reigns feels about as much a direct sequel as Jet Set Radio Future feels to Jet Set Radio. Like, the characters are there, it's from the same team, but it just, it feels so different. It almost feels like a reboot from the same creators. And also, I mean, and we'll totally cover Anarchy Reigns on a future episode, but like, just the amount of time that game took to come out. Remember when we were covering it and we're like, here's more screenshots, here's a trailer, when's it coming out? And it was like a year and a half after the Japanese release, even though they were treating it like a worldwide launch. Do you remember that? I do remember that. It was messed up. And then when it finally released, it just plopped. And it's a game that relies on online play, but no one was online to play it. So we were all just like, all right, well, that was fun. That was nice. What a waste. Sega totally screwed that game up. And that's something we'll talk about on that episode. I definitely don't want to be like talking about all the screwed up stuff Sega did during that era. But it was very interesting. And it's not surprising that Anarchy Reigns is the last... uh, Platinum Games title with Sega. Obviously, they weren't very happy with it. Right. Um, and I, I mean, I don't really have anything to say. I mean, I, I kind of wish they would port this game to like... I, want, I don't want to say VR because I feel like VR is the only thing right now that has those like controllers with motion controls on them that would work for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would say maybe like try to like mess around with the game and maybe get it to work on a controller i don't know i just feel like there has to be an hd version i think the only negative thing about the wii at the time was that it didn't do hd so yeah when you play games they're blurry absolutely and i know this isn't in the notes but you know like the only way you're going to play this is either on the wii or the wii u with backwards compatibility um i know in the past we've been doing ebay dives like for snatcher where it's like a thousand dollar game Um, here's the exact opposite. This game is selling for anywhere from $20 to $12 to $5 on eBay. And this is like complete in box. Um, so you, you definitely have no excuse not to pick it up if you don't own it. It's so cheap. I, I definitely think you guys should pick it up because I feel like while the Wii right now in that generation of games are like, well, cheap right now i feel like in 10 years or whatever we're gonna be like remember the time that a mad world was 10 bucks and they couldn't get rid of it i oh, think yeah. it's already happening with ps3 games right now 
I mean, on the subject of like really bloody, controversial games, I just went because I went to the theater for the first time in like a year and a half, and I saw the new Saw movie, Spiral, mm. and it got me thinking. Oh, there's Saw video games. I want to check those out. And they're starting to go up in price, and those are like Xbox 360 games. So I picked them up, but I feel like I spent what they probably were sold at retail, which seems like a lot to me when I'm certain these things were probably selling at GameStop like two years ago for five bucks. And now they're selling for 50 or 60, you know. So, yeah, don't don't sleep on this stuff because I, I really feel like Mad World, even though it's like five bucks now. Hey, Wild Woody. Remember that with the talking pencil on Sega CD? Yeah. Remember that one? That was selling for 10 bucks. Easy. Suddenly, a famous streamer played it. The game is now like two hundred bucks. It's insane. These things you can't, have, you can't, you know, can't control it. Have you seen um, uh, Captain America on the PlayStation Three? Oh God, is that is that a lot? Uh, it's it's about like sixty to eighty dollars. But considering oh the game God. was like literally ten bucks or like five bucks at like GameStop, and you could buy two buy two get one free used, and like pick up all the Marvel games from Sega. That's kind of a lot, I would say. Please don't tell me that. Liked. Don't tell me Thor, God of Thunder. Okay, good. I The only time I've ever traded a game or sold a game is Thor, God of Thunder, which was a review copy that I then flipped. And it's only selling for nine bucks now. So I feel good. <laughs> but, I, did, I did the same oh, thing with Thor, God and, of Thunder. Uh, Blue, Blue Dragon, I think, for the Xbox 360. I think that was uh, I cheap, I think. I think it's Fingers cheap. crossed. It is. Okay. Okay, so I'm on a good streak right now. There's no sob story of me trading Snatcher when I was like five or something. <laughs> so so um, to close up the episode, do you have anything yes. you want to say about Mad World? I mean, I, I think it was a fantastic, like, true introduction to Platinum Games and their style. I think the game's well... Well, it has a well-needed remaster on its way because I feel like Max Anarchy, Anarchy Reigns is just like a very poor uh, representation of what this game is. Um, maybe you know, maybe we're coming to a time when Platinum's going to do like an anniversary collection and release all their games in one like box set. Uh, so we'll see; it could happen. But in the meantime, you know, pick it up if you have a Wii or a Wii U. It's cheap. It's well worth playing. Uh, it's a fun little title. And I'm really glad that Tyler picked it. Um, we do have two memories. Should we get into the memories now? Go for it. All right, here we go. So uh, first off, we have a patron, Patreon patron. This is Daniel Andres. He says, this game is really awesome, but I'm stuck on level one, I think. I can't remember It's uh, where I am in this game, considering that I haven't touched it in a couple of years. It has a really great premise, but the levels are just so long. I really need to give it another go sometime. And then uh, another one, we, we rarely do this, but I'm doing this for him. We have uh, a Twitter memory from Dakota, who is a contributor to Segabits. And um, he said, where, where do I even begin with this game? It shaped my interest in over-the-top action games that has unfiltered comedy and wonderful bosses. I played this as much as I played No More Heroes, which is a crap ton, and am patiently awaiting a port and or sequel. So that's what we got for memories. Um, 
Do you want to close it out? Should we tease what's next? I don't know. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, you had a, you had your June month that you're doing Sonic the Hedgehog stuff. You already teased it on Twitter, so you might as well tell the people that are listening. Absolutely. So uh, in June, we're going to have two episodes, one by me and one uh, by George. George is going to do some mystery title. I think he's going to pick. Uh, but for me, I'm going to be talking about, in two weeks, Archie Sonic. Um, and I know there's a lot to cover, so it's really it's going to be that mini-series and like the first 15 issues, pre-Penders, um, because I feel like Ken Penders could be his own episode. Um, but I'm really looking forward to that. So we're gonna, it's going to be a little different. We're going to look at uh, the start of the comics, we're going to talk about the characters, look at some covers, touch on some stories. It's, it's going to be fun, it's going to be casual, it's going to be very Sonic, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, it's definitely different from my episode. <laughs> Yeah, what's yours? As for my episode, you... I'm going to do Sonic Shuffle. No, I haven't decided yet. I told you one of my ideas was the Sonic anniversaries, but like we're not going to get to the 30th anniversary, and it's not even that big. It's a virtual event. We already have it, right? I'm hoping it's more, more than that. But so far, it's just a, it's just a virtual event that we know of, at least in a few days, right? So I guess we'll right. see. If anything develops something big, I just I don't think it's going to be in person though at this point. What do you think? We'll see. We'll see. They do say um, that events will be revealed. If you remember that little press release, it says like partnerships uh, and then events. So maybe they'll do something next year. I don't know. I'd love to do it. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, though I'm pretty I'm pretty busy next year, so I hope they announce something soon. I mean, I've got yeah. a Star Wars thing in May, and then I've got a Japan trip at the end of the year, so it might not happen. <laughs> now that I think about it, it's too it's too uh, too late. If you if you guys have an idea for a Sonic thing you guys want me to cover, especially if it's unique, uh, hit me up on Twitter, and obviously I'll take uh, listen to everyone's ideas. But for now, I'm going to be thinking on it. Thank you guys for watching Sega Talk. Check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash SegaBits. Bye. Bye. Echo. I push mute on these actors and go hard so these little disputes ain't a factor I gotta get my name up in the rafters and make it so only real shit is coming right after Let's go Lord help me save my soul
trying to find my position in time to get it popping for I'm out of my mind. See, I be hot on the ground for a week at a time, like I be dead when I close my eyes. So I be sleeping one eye open, vision on my hopes and dreams with a desire that it burn till it's smoking. I'm on fire, ain't no need for provoking. My soul providing a fuel that'll keep me open. By any means, they still trying to control him and take away the light he holds so they can close him. But never that, there's no force to hold him down when he grabs that mic and goes in. I'm so far above what y'all is dealing with. I'm so close to the edge, I'm unlimited. I'm so diligent till the end, I'm killing it. And with my last breath, I exhale, spilling this. Lord, help me save my soul. I'm trying not to lose control. I'm trying not to lose control. But I might have to let you go. So, Lord, help me save my soul. I'm trying not to lose control. I'm trying not to lose control. But I might have to let you go. Which one was the producer? Uh, he showed up that one time with pizza for everybody and asked if everything was okay, and then he left. I thought that was the pizza delivery guy. Well, he's both. The director's a lot like my dad. He gets drunk, he yells a lot, he passes out in a pool of his own drool. He's harmless, and people usually just ignore his ramblings. <laughs> 